grace. There's grace. That's amazing. Uh, I'm so glad you're here this morning. This is actually our last time in Obi Johnson this year. We, we're not going to be meeting on Christmas Day here. We're going to be meeting somewhere else. And we won't have a New Year's Day service. So we won't be here the next two weeks, which makes this a special Sunday. It's the last Sunday of 2016. That's the year, right? 2016? Yeah. And you have children. You don't, you don't remember simple things. But it's the last service of 2016 here in Obi Johnson. And I'm so thankful because we've been praying for this facility for so long. And God opened it up for us. So I'm, I'm just I'm glad that we're here. And uh, it makes me reflect on just being thankful that we have the facility. We're continuing our series, our Advent series, called The King is Coming, and this is our last sermon in that series. Uh, today, the title of the sermon is A Righteous Reign, and we've been looking at different pictures and prophecies about the coming Jesus from the book of Isaiah, uh, particularly in Isaiah 9 and 11, and this Sunday we're back in Isaiah 11, so I'm excited to, to dive into that with you. I'm going to read the scripture, and then we're going to pray. And uh, we'll jump right into the sermon. Isaiah 11 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. We talked about this section last week. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you uh, for your word. We pray this morning that it would give us real and true hope as we look at the coming of Christ. Pray that you would work in our hearts, that we would have transformation and, and, and a deeper love for you, a deeper love for who you are and a, and a deeper knowledge of who you are and, and deeper repentance and change in our own life as we follow you, Jesus, the righteous King. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I want you to imagine with me for a moment that you have found a Christmas tree and that you really like this Christmas tree and it's not much to look at, but you nurture this Christmas tree and you get it looking really nice. Through your loving care of this Christmas tree, you water it and you prune it and it looks wonderful and you're ready to put it on display. You make your own ornaments and each ornament says something about who you are, 
Now, maybe it's uh, a characteristic that you like about yourself, or maybe another ornament uh, is your favorite sports team, or maybe it's some memory from your past, but every ornament says something about you. And you make the tinsel so that it's beautiful, and you get the lights ready so that they're ready to sparkle and shine, and, and this tree has a ton of potential when you put it on display. But you're also a gracious person, so you invite other people to participate with you in putting this tree on display. You invite other people into this Christmas tree with you, and you're going to put it on display and let them help you put it on display. You're going to let them assemble it and put the ornaments on it and put the lights up and then put it out for everything to see, everyone to see. And you're excited because everyone's going to see who you are by looking at this Christmas tree. And you love these people so much who you've included in the design and putting together of the tree that you just walk away and say, you guys do it for me. I trust you. And they say, we'll do it. We'll put the tree together. We'll, we'll do it in a way that really represents who you are. And so you walk away and then you come back and they're nowhere to be found. And the leaves have been pulled off the tree and the ornaments are smashed on the ground and the lights have been just left on the floor and not put on the tree. And that wonderful star that you might have made for the top of the tree is just hanging and crooked on the tree. That tree was made to reflect who you are, but it, then it gets vandalized beyond recognition with the very people you trusted. And because it's now a poor reflection of who you are, you just chop it down. You just cut it down to a stump because it's such a bad reflection of who you are. You're, you're ashamed that you gave these people the opportunity to represent you and put this tree together. When we step into this passage, the first thing that we read is about a stump, the stump of Jesse. And everything I just described about that Christmas tree, we're meant to think of when we read the phrase, the stump of Jesse. The Christmas tree is God's people. Israel. They've been chosen by God to represent him. And they've been given his law that represents his character. And every part of God's character, they're supposed to put on like ornaments so that they could be a display of who God is. They're supposed to put on his justice and his compassion. And they're supposed to put on his love and his purity. And all that together is his righteousness. The people of God are meant to display God's righteousness, but in every area, they have failed. Rather than being just, they are unjust, and they oppress people within them. Rather than being compassionate and forgiving, they're unforgiving. Rather than being pure, they worship idols. And rather than faithfully following their faithful God, they are unfaithful to him. And God comes to him, he's given them all this, these things of him to display, and they've made an utter mess of it in their unrighteousness. That's what is happening when we read that phrase, the stump of Jesse. God has come to Israel and seen the mess they've made of all that he's given them, and he says, far from deserving my grace, you deserve my judgment, you deserve to be chopped because you failed to properly display me. But it's not only Israel that's done that, we've done that as well. We are called to, be, uh, to reflect God's image, to reflect his righteousness. 
Righteousness is God's moral character. It's that which he intends for us to reflect about him to the world. But the Bible says that none of us are righteous. Romans 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. We have been told to reflect the character of God in our lives, and yet we drastically fail to reflect that character, much like the failure of the people who put together that imaginary Christmas tree. And that leaves us in a place of separation from God, because we failed to reflect God and we've disobeyed him. And we see, when we see that imagery of the stump, we're meant to see ourselves in that stump. Failing, failing to display God, worthy of only his judgment and not his grace, and at risk of being chopped down. Anybody encouraged? You know, here's the thing, is if you can actually go there, Christmas becomes a whole lot more meaningful. If you can take an honest look at the world that we live in and an honest look at yourself and see unrighteousness, see the failure to display God's righteousness, Christmas becomes a lot more meaningful. Because right as God mentions the stump, it's surrounded by hope. Hope of the Messiah to come. Hope of the light to come in the midst of darkness. See, verse 1 doesn't just focus on the stump. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. If you can look around and see your own unrighteousness and see that we don't live in a world of righteousness, there's actually hope. There's hope of the promise of Messiah. You and I are vandals, unrighteous, but yet There is a righteous one coming. See, that's really where we need to go to even begin to understand the Christmas spirit. A friend of mine wrote on Facebook that as she kind of looked at herself and she looked at the world around her, she said she wasn't feeling very Adventy, Like she wasn't very hopeful about Christmas and what it meant for the coming of Jesus. But her husband pointed out, no, you're actually in the perfect place to find hope in Jesus. Because if you can be honest about who you are and you can be honest as you look at the world around you, that's the very place that Jesus wants to come in and bring hope and salvation. And she wrote on Facebook, she said, Advent has far more in common with Aleppo and Cairo and terminal illness and fear, disappointment and exhaustion. It has far more in common with those things than it even does with Christmas pageants and cookies and evergreen wreaths. Because oftentimes those things about Christmas that we celebrate, those things that we use to decorate, they're fun, but they don't get to the true need that we have as broken, unrighteous people living in a broken, unrighteous world. But Messiah does. Messiah does. Jesus, the Messiah, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, will bear righteous fruit. Because he is a righteous king who has been anointed by God to live out righteousness. Verse 2 of our passage says that the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. In the new year, we're going to be unpacking the book of Mark in a series called Follow Me. 
We're going to learn what it means to just be the simple disciples of Jesus who are on a mission to make fishers of men. And I'm excited about that. But one of the ways that's really interesting in the way that Mark opens up his story about Jesus is that Jesus goes to get baptized in the Jordan River. Except you and I know that Jesus is sinless, not sinful, so he doesn't really need to be baptized. But he becomes baptized to identify himself with sinful people, even though he's sinless. He comes to identify with the unrighteous, even though he's righteous. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, and the Spirit descends on him. And a voice from heaven speaks out, You are my beloved Son, for whom, with whom I am well pleased. See, verse 2 says that on this righteous king, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon. And in the ministry of Jesus, we see the spirit of the Lord resting on him. And when God the Father speaks from heaven and calls him the beloved son, that means this is the anointed king. This is the one who has come to show the world what righteousness looks like. To offer himself as a sacrifice and ransom for many. And Isaiah continues on and talks about the righteousness of this king. He says that he's wise and understanding. That means he sees situations and he knows how to do righteousness in them. He has counsel and power. And what that means is that his strategies are righteous. And he has the strength to implement those strategies. Oftentimes, you and I know what righteousness looks like. We just don't know how to do it in a certain situation. But the Messiah does. He knows how to display righteousness. Verse 3 says that his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. In other words, every decision that Jesus made, he makes on the basis of love for his Father and what is righteous. Every action displays righteousness and he knows exactly what to do to do righteousness. I don't know if you are like me, but oftentimes I'm not sure what is righteous. I mean, I know the basics of righteousness, but in this complicated, unrighteous, broken world, I often don't know what to do. And I don't know how to do righteousness in the world. This, this past Monday, we were up at Arts Park, and um, Carol and I got there a little bit early, and Chad and Ellie were on their way, and this kid walked by us with a bike, and he said, hey, I'll sell you this bike for $40. And we said, no, we know where it probably came from if you're selling it for $40. We told him we're not going to buy the bike. So he goes over uh, to a group of folks who live in Arts Park and don't have a home. They live there and tries to sell to them. And we stopped paying attention. But within a minute or two, a fight had almost broken out. And evidently, this kid had stolen the bike from some homeless friends who lived in Arts Park and then tried to resell it to them, forgetting that he stole it from the same people. And they were mad. And so a fight almost breaks out. And at this point, Chad and Ellie are walking up. And I'm looking at Chad, kind of trying to figure out what he's doing. What's the right thing to do in this situation? Here we have a kid who has taken advantage of homeless people in the park. And then those people in the park are ready to start a fight with the kid. And Chad kind of steps in between them. And I'm like, well, I, I, gotta, I guess I got to go step in between them too. <laughs> and so I go and step in between them. And we're trying to kind of figure out what to do. And then the guy who had his bike stolen from him pulls out a knife. 
I'm pretty sure in credentials for pastoring, it doesn't include being able to defend yourself in a knife fight. So I'm sitting there going, which way, what do we do? What, what do we do? What is righteous here? How do, how do we bring justice to this situation? And I didn't quite know what to do. And so Chad and I are just sitting there, and, and then the guy lunges forward with the knife, but he's not lunging towards a person, thankfully. He lunges toward the bike, and he slashes the tires, and then it kind of de-escalates from there. But in that moment, I said, you know, I wish Jesus was here. <laughs> Because Jesus would know what to do. Jesus is righteous. He would know exactly how to step into this situation and diffuse it and bring peace and righteousness into this situation. We often do not know what to do because the world is such a broken place and there's so much unrighteousness in us. But Jesus knows what to do. And he is what we celebrate this Advent season. Jesus is all about righteousness, but oftentimes when you see the word righteousness in Isaiah's prophecy, it's coupled with the word justice. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. If righteousness is reflecting God's moral character, it's, it's like the straight line of who God is. Justice is finding things that bend from that and bringing them back in line with who God is. Justice is bringing what is right and righteous into someone's life who needs it. It is setting things right. Listen to verse 3. It it explicitly says the word righteousness, but the theme underneath it is justice. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Jesus does righteousness, but part of his righteousness is that he brings justice into situations. He does righteousness and justice, and you cannot fool him. When things are unjust, he knows. When things are unrighteous, he knows. And in complex situations, he knows how to bring justice and righteousness. He has no special preferences for people. But he knows how to do righteousness on behalf of of the poor. And if you look at the life of Jesus, you see this lived out. Jesus was not fooled by the Pharisees. The Pharisees pretended to be righteous and just, but they were not. And Jesus was not fooled by them one bit. He saw right through them. And yet at the same time, Jesus spent most of his time with the poor, with the sick, making things right for them by healing them. He spent time with both the both the outlaw and the outcast, bringing righteousness, because Jesus is a righteous man of action. In verse 5, it says that righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. And in that day, people wore a belt because they wore robes. And you wore a belt to kind of cinch up your robe because you were ready to act. Messiah is a righteous man of action, so that righteousness shall be the belt of his waist. You see, everything that Jesus does is righteous and in line with God. And Jesus is constantly aware of justice and setting things right for people. In fact, that's how his kingdom is described in Isaiah 9, 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with and with from this time forth and forevermore.
Jesus is a righteous king. In his reign, not this kind of reign, but his rule and power is righteous and just. And that should give us hope. That should give us hope this Christmas because that's the one who entered into this world. But here's the thing. To be part of Jesus' reign of righteousness, you have to recognize that you're not righteous. You have to recognize that you're unrighteous. Many people talk about being a good person, and I hear that a lot, like, I'm not perfect, but I'm a good person. My question is always, you're a good person compared to who? Because the chances are, if you think you're good, you've made up this own set of standards and rules that you can follow, and you probably don't even follow them anyway. And when you don't follow them, you give yourself an excuse. But let me ask you this. Are you a good person compared to Jesus? Are you a good person compared to Jesus? The one who did everything for, out of fear and respect of God. Every decision he made was righteous, loving, and sacrificial. The answer should be no. Compared to Jesus, we are not good people. But here's the thing about Jesus, and that's what I love about him, what's amazing about him. Jesus is righteous, but he's not self-righteous. Jesus is righteous, but he's not self-righteous. See, self-righteous people separate themselves from people they deem to be unrighteous. But Jesus comes for the unrighteous. The king of righteousness perfectly displays righteousness and does righteousness, but he isn't self-righteous because he comes for the unrighteous. Who did Jesus spend his time with? The poor, the sick, the outcast, sinners, unrighteous people. Verse 10 says that he is coming to draw the nations to himself. And what that means is that he's coming to draw the unrighteous to the cross. He's coming to draw sinners to receive forgiveness. In Mark 2.17, Jesus calls Matthew as a disciple. And of course, the Pharisees get upset because Matthew is a cheat, he's a traitor, and no one trusts him. And Jesus' response is, well, I have come not to call those who think they're righteous, but those who are unrighteous and know it. Jesus displays righteousness and does righteousness, but he isn't self-righteous because he comes to save the unrighteous. Jesus has enough righteousness to give you some. He not only does it, but he gives it to you. In fact, he brings all the righteousness you need to the table, and he exchanges it with you for your unrighteousness. You see, that's what happened on the cross. When Jesus was put on the cross and placed there for you, what you deserve went to him, and what he deserved went to you. The debt for your unrighteousness against God was put on the cross, and God poured his wrath out on his son as payment for sin. So the unrighteousness that you have racked up a debt for was canceled when Jesus died in your place. But it doesn't just stop there, because what Jesus deserves he gives to you. And Jesus has a perfect record of righteousness. Every decision he ever made, every action he ever took, every thought he ever had was righteous, honoring God and loving his neighbor. And that is his record. But scripture tells us not only is your record canceled, but Jesus' record is declared over 
you. Not only did Jesus die the death that you deserve to die, but he lived the life you should have lived. And while your unrighteousness is put on him on the cross, his righteousness is credited to you. And in Jesus, you are declared righteous. You are declared righteous. His righteousness is credited to you. To give you an illustration of what that might look like and how crazy that is in real life, let me talk a little bit about the Christmas debt that you've probably racked up. Because you're trying to buy some presents for people, right? And you're out of money. And you might have gone a little bit into the credit card debt or maybe a lot into the credit card debt to pay for gifts for everybody, right? Jesus would come in and say, I'll pay the debt. I'll pay the debt that this person has racked up. But not only that, I'm going to give them my credit card. And every blessing that comes from having my credit card, they have. It's theirs. See, in the gospel, our debt is canceled, but what Jesus deserves is also given to us. And so look, how much you love God is not your righteousness. How perfect you are is not your righteousness. How much you love your neighbor is not your righteousness. The number of days that you've been sober is not your righteousness. Helping the poor is not your righteousness. Jesus is your righteousness. And his righteous record has been declared over you. Your sin has been canceled out and you have been declared righteous. And that's what the Bible means when it uses the term justification. It's a theological word that means declared righteous. And that comes to us by placing our faith in Jesus. Romans 4, 5 says that justification doesn't come by works, but by believing in him who justifies the ungodly. Or we could say the, the, who, believing in him who justifies the unrighteous. See, your faith is counted to you as righteousness when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. And for you, if you're looking for some Christmas hope this year, let me encourage you that you can never have any more hope than when you place your faith in Jesus. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, let me encourage you, today's the day. If you're wrestling with what that means and you want to talk about that more, if you have any questions about the gospel, I'd love to meet with you and talk through that. But Jesus is the righteous one. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about this exchange of debt And it says, for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, even though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The unrighteous are declared righteous in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, through the cross of of where Jesus died. But not only that, Jesus the king, the king of righteousness, then comes to live in our heart and display righteousness through us. Display righteousness through us. See, that's right. You don't, have, you don't bring anything to the table. All you have is the debt of unrighteousness. But God forgives that unrighteousness through Jesus. He declares you righteousness. And then he works real righteousness in you. Not self-righteousness, but the reflection of his character through you. So that you begin to love the righteousness of God more than you love your own desires. So that you love him and you want to display his 
righteousness. Verse 9 in our passage talks about the knowledge of God spreading across the world as the waters cover the sea. And what that's talking about is unrighteous people coming to faith in Jesus and then displaying the character of God as Jesus reigns through them, as Jesus displays himself through them. And one day, it says that the entire world will be covered in righteousness. And we can only begin to dream what that might be like. Jesus is actually doing some of that now through us. Jesus is bringing righteousness to expression through us as he reigns in righteousness. And here's the amazing thing. I see it in you. I see Jesus working righteousness in you. As you sacrificially love your children and grandchildren, Jesus is displaying his righteousness. As you forgive those who have hurt you, Jesus is bringing his righteousness to expression. As you go to Guatemala and show mercy to people who need stoves so that they can cook, Jesus is bringing his righteousness to expression. As you work in prisons and provide education for convicts so that they can be rehabilitated, you're showing compassion in the righteousness of Jesus. As you work for the placement of orphans in our city, you're showing God's righteousness and his justice. And you show God's goodness as you go in the dark places with the good news of Messiah. See, Christians are not self-righteous people because we're unrighteous people. But Jesus has declared us righteous through him, and now he's bringing all that to bear through us. He's bringing his righteousness to expression in this unrighteous world through broken people like you and me. You see, we tore down the tree, but Jesus built it back up. So now, as the psalm says, we are oaks of righteousness. Back on display because of what Jesus has done. So that God can reflect his righteous character through us. Right here in this city. Right here. Reminded me last night when we were down in Young Circle again. This time I didn't get into a knife fight. But um, we were down there and we were just praying for people. And there was this moment where the sun was going down and it was getting darker and darker. And there in the middle of Arts Park was the Hollywood Christmas tree. And it's really large and, and beautiful. And uh, as the sun went down, there was a moment where the lights flipped on for the tree. And everyone kind of stopped for a moment. Wow, that's beautiful. And that's you. That's you. As you follow Christ and he works his righteousness in you, you are, are the lights. You're the ornaments. You're what God uses to display himself in this unrighteous world. And it's not that you're perfect and that keeps you from being self-righteous, but Jesus doesn't quit and that actually brings righteousness to expression in you and through you. Jesus, the righteous king, brings his righteousness to reign in your heart. Amen. 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 Amen.
Amen. And as that happens, the city will stop and take notice and see the character of God on display. Not because you're self-righteous, but because Jesus has worked his righteousness in you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have died on the cross and paid for our unrighteousness. That you've declared us to be righteousness, righteous and now are working righteousness in us. We pray, Lord Jesus, that this Christmas season, our, our hope would be that you have entered into this broken world and changed us through the cross and through the resurrection. We pray for each person here, Lord, that they would be encouraged to pursue good works, to pursue your righteousness, and to follow you, Jesus. We thank you that you have blessed us this year in this facility and ask that you would be with every person here today. In your name, amen.